Hey, welcome everyone. Hi, Mark. So hey, Michelle. This is that exciting time of year where we talk about the things that we believe are ahead for the fo- next year. So we're talking about 2023. Our predictions, or yeah, our predictions. otherwise known as what's going to happen unless the world gets its act in order. Ouch. Yeah, it's so been it's a tough happen. couple of years, hasn't it? <laughs> well, I can say this much. I would say that we do a pretty good job on our predictions. I know, I, I hate know. to say it, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, you know, last year we did the recap of, of the prior year's predictions mm-hmm. with all the kind of look back harp music and which ones we got right, uh, but there was so much of that, we're not going to do it again. We'll just yeah, assume no, that not. we got the majority of them right. All right, so let's get to it, Mark. Um, the, one of the first things that we wanted to talk about was the war for talent, mm-hmm. because we're still hearing that there's shortage for those really good hot roles out there. There still is um, some positions that aren't being filled. Mm-hmm. So let's let's discuss what we think is happening with that and, and what it looks like ahead. Yeah, so we think the war for talent is actually going to be a bunch of skirmishes and battles, right? So the war for talent is actually going to be a short run type of situation. And and that's one thing that's amazing is how we look at things kind of like, well, this is the way it's going to be. It's kind of like remote work and hybrid work. We'll talk about that later. But it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is the new world. This is the way it's going to be. The war for talent, this new world, the way it's going to be. Well, actually what we have, Econ 101, we have a short run disequilibrium between supply and demand. So what does that mean? So we've got... Um, too much demand from companies related to the supply of labor, right? So that drives price up. When you shift those curves, that drives price up. But then it falls back to an equilibrium as other things happen. Right. So as you have like new entrants into the workforce, that can drive Mm -hmm. price down. Or if you have um, less demand from companies from, say, recession or layoffs, that can drive demand down and it'll drive price down. So we're going to start seeing that shift happening and and companies are going to realize that they're actually overpaying and they're overcommitting in a long-term way to a short-term problem. So that whole, you know, increase in in um, in salaries um, in you know one of our recent surveys we saw that to acquire new talent 50% of companies are offering higher base salaries 39% of companies are increasing incentive opportunities, 22% doing both. This is for sales organizations. Well, the ones that are increasing salary, that's a long-term commitment. Right. And so they're going to find themselves sitting there with increased costs as things start to settle down. Well, and what we also believe is that we, we so we do believe um, that things are going to start settling down a little bit. And we're starting to hear that already. And well, gosh, it's in the paper, the layoffs that are happening and Mm -hmm. more are on the way. Mm -hmm. And so what we also believe is that it's not necessarily going to be last in, first out, but we believe that they're going to be really looking at the talent that they have and the skill of that of that talent and make the determination on the layoff around that. Right, right. Um, so they may have hired some people in, let's say, Mark, that might be a little over market, but they're highly skilled. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that those are the ones that are going to drop out. But if you remember, um, when we looked at the pandemic, when the layoffs were vast, the logic that so many people companies we're using was last in first out right lifo mm-hmm. now it's going to be 
LTFO, low talent first low out. Low talent first out. Yes. Yeah, because LTFO. Yeah, yeah, because when you get this this increase or this inflation in 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 the price of labor, inflation in salaries, I think you're getting a lot of people in there that when the tide starts to pull back, they're going to have to be able to prove their value, yep. or else they're going to be out. Yeah. Right? So in uh, and, and um, yeah, so all that job switching is actually going to produce people that are going to be standing there, probably back out on the market, and maybe the demand's not going to be where it used to be. Yep. So can we talk for a second about the um, employee-employer relationship? Mm -hmm. One of the things that we saw through the pandemic was, oh, that whole battle around being back in the office. And it really has become an us-them mentality between, you know, the big, the big company that's forcing me to do something that I don't believe I need to do. Like it really made a lot of headlines too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and really concerned me because I see this amazing opportunity for people, particularly look at where we live in Atlanta to avoid having really big commutes five days a week. Mm -hmm. Right. But then this whole clash on let's not even sit down and talk. I believe that that's going to go away and that companies are going to, that's going to settle down and that companies are really figuring out what jobs make sense that they can be partial hybrid, remote, or in the office. Right, right. And that people that are well-suited for those jobs will probably also be the best suited for how that job works. Mm -hmm. So whether it's virtual or remote or, uh, sorry, virtual, hybrid, or in office full-time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it, it did go from that big us versus them situation. Yeah. Remember that one survey we did where uh, I think it was something like 60-something percent of employers, uh, I'm sorry, employers thought that 60-something percent of people were going to be back in the office full-time, Right. but the employees thought that only like a third of them thought they were going to be back in the office full-time. So there's a big difference in expectations. And we heard all these phrases like, you know, well, once you give people something, you can't take it back. You know, like we, you know, companies gave people the ability to work remote yeah. and, and it was like, well, no, I think that was a pandemic. Yeah. So, uh, so, but now it's kind of rationalizing, right? People are getting a lot more rational. And I think it's like you said, people are understanding that there are a lot of benefits to to remote work or, or hybrid work? Something else that I believe is that smaller companies um, could have an advantage in this whole thing about hybrid work because for big, think about these big cities that are still um, a lot of office spaces not fully occupied mm -hmm. and it feels empty when you go work there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the value proposition of going to work for a company where people are not in an office, it's kind of a, a, a poor environment to be in. Right. And I've heard that a lot from clients and others and leaders that are working to get their people in the office just a few days a week. But when it's empty, it just feels, you know, it just doesn't feel so good. Yeah. So you've talked about this idea before of, of intentional collaboration. So yes. come into the office when you need to come to the office, don't come to the office to put your headphones on and, and kind of, you know, yes. focus in on the spreadsheet, but be there to work with everybody and you want to create that environment, right? So right. Um, some clients we see, they'll be like, oh, it's it's an in-office day and, you know, the place is bustling or they're going in and it's not an in-office day and the place is like a ghost town. So I think we're going to start to, yeah, I think we're going to start to see, an, you know, an equilibrium there. I think we're going to start to see that settle down and, and hybrid work is going to become 
the, 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 the norm. And, and as we know, and you were talking before hybrid work is, uh, that's the fastest or, or hybrid sales roles are the fastest mm-hmm. growing sales roles beyond inside yeah. sales, which used to be the fastest and of course field. So that's going to become, I think the new, uh, majority type of sales role. Yeah. So let's explain what hybrid sales role means to everyone here. So when we think about it, we're, we're thinking about a salesperson that's spending 50% on average, about half their time or so in front of clients and the other half of their time virtually connecting with them. It doesn't mean that they're hybrid in an office. It we're referring to really their interaction with their buyer or their clients. Yeah, they're they're matching the customer, right? So the customer is not in the office. They're not going to show up at a in an empty office park. And yes. (laughs) So by definition they're hybrids because they're trying to, you know, the match the needs of the customer. Yeah. So now that that is basically here to stay, uh, we've been saying all along, but there is going to be new skills and different skills required for that hybrid sales role. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about um, Mark Something you and I have been discussing a lot about consumer spending slowdowns. Right, right. All right. Yeah, there's, okay, so I think the big trend we're going to see here is slower consumer spending. Yeah. And, and consumer spending is what drives the economy, mm-hmm. right? And and that's going to be slowing down. It's going to be challenged by uh, lower savings and shifting more onto credit cards and more onto debt, which is going to in turn um, slow down company purchases, which in turn, kind of a domino effect, will slow down company hiring, which will settle back the war for talent. And if that leads to decreased GDP growth, then that's going to, you know, continue us into recession. So here's some interesting stats to consider uh, behind that, right? So uh, what we know is that consumer spending... um, has been funded over the past few years by personal savings and pay increases from the war for talent. So check this out. Peak savings during the pandemic in 2020 in total in the United States, $6.4 trillion, right? That was the peak. It is now at the end of 2022 down to $581 billion. It's down about 90% if my math is right. So that's the lowest savings level since 2009. Mm -hmm. That's kind of scary. So Consumers have been eating through their savings, right? Yeah. And how do you, uh, what do you, what do you do when you start running out of savings and you have, you know, the same spending habits? Because they always say, don't bet against the American consumer. Well, you start putting on credit cards. Well, the thing right. is, our habit is we buy everything on credit cards anyway. So what we start to do is we just start to pay off less of our balances and that increases the debt. So the consumer debt now in the U.S. is at almost $1 trillion. That's the highest level ever. It's just right? really And then you take scary. the increase in interest rates with what's going on in the economy, yeah. and then it gets more expensive to service that debt. So things have to slow down at a certain point here pretty soon because there's limited roadbed for consumers to continue that spending. And, and, and the only way out of it is if... Um, you know, they continue to take on debt, which is not sustainable, or there's some other source of demand outside of consumers, which I don't know what that will be, that could replace that. So I don't know how you can avoid this slowdown, given those numbers. If you're a global company, what do you think you're doing? Do you think that there could be, what, a concerted effort 
um, looking at economies that are not impacted, or are they going to be doubling down in a country like the U.S.? I'm sure you're referring to the U.S. right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. Now, now, that's a broad number, right? So that does, yeah. that's representing everyone. Well, we know there are certain segments that are spending more than others, right? That's true. <clears throat> yep. So, um, you know, higher income segments are continuing to spend, mm -hmm. and they will continue to spend. So, Maybe they're, you know, shifting targeting there. Uh, so uh, so I think it's just showing us a general slowdown. So yeah. that that's going to, uh, again, lead into recession. Uh, interestingly, you know, recession is defined as, uh, well, roughly the kind of the accepted uh, definition is two consecutive quarters of declining uh, GDP growth. Yeah. And so... Uh, we've, we had two quarters in Q1 and Q2. Uh, in Q3, we had a, uh, a GDP increase at an annual rate of 2.9%. So that actually came up. So, you know, we did have a little, a little of a recession dip, but um, I was doing a little research on this recently, and I thought this was interesting. So that is kind of the commonly accepted definition of a recession, mm -hmm. but really a recession is designated by this committee at the National Bureau of Economic Research, and they look at a number of things to say whether we're in a recession or not. So, you know, maybe we're not in a recession. Maybe it's just a flesh wound, right? Oh, stop. <laughs> so, so a recession can basically be whatever we want it to be, you know? Well, at the end of the day, the recession is what the the buyer and the consumer feels. Yeah, it's what we right? feel, and it's like yeah. when when things start to slow down, it's like uh, hello. Anyway, so so we see that coming, and I think everybody you know kind of commonly agrees with that in the financial uh, in the financial sector as well. Uh, but that will cool off the war for talent. So let's shift a little bit, and can we talk about Omni Channel? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that we talked about was given. Everything that happened through the pandemic, there was so much chat pre-pandemic about omni-channel and omni-channel becoming, you know, companies were exploring bringing that experience in B2B sales. Omni-channel just means that me as a buyer, I can buy any way that I want to whenever I want to mm -hmm. and however I want to engage. Mm -hmm. And then the big question became like, well, who gets paid for the sale, you right. know, which we have good answers for that. But one of the things that we believe and that we're seeing is that omni-channel, I mean, it's here to stay in B2B and B2C. And it's not a trend. It's just the way it is. Right. We could say omni-channel is omnipotent. Yes, we can. You were dying to say that, too. <laughs> yeah. So little pre-podcast, you know, insight. I didn't say omnipotent. So like, at least I got oh, that right. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. So that's good. That's good. Your enunciation works. So, so yeah. So omni-channel, yeah. it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the norm, right? Yep. And so companies have to figure out how are they going to serve the customer however that customer wants to buy yep. because their competitors are going to do that. So if I want to find information on online, if I want to buy online, if I want to go to the store and then actually go home and buy online, or if I want to go, you know, um, uh, talk to a, a salesperson, right? So however I want to get information, however I want to make that decision. And, and I'd say most companies have not figured that out yet. They haven't yep. figured out that seamless sequence and they haven't figured out how to get the sales organization, whether it's virtual or hybrid or remote or in person, how to get them to all work together smoothly and without any kind of um, preference one way or the other. So if you're in the store and you say, hey, I, I, I love this, whatever this item is, can I just go home and buy it uh, online? That 
salesperson needs to be able to say, oh, of course, mm-hmm. right? Right now, and it's not, like, here's Whoa. my coupon, here's my yeah, code. Yeah, here's my coupon here's and my, my code, and right, so I can get credit. you don't want to really do that because, but the other thing is, so in B2B, though, um, when we think about that, what, what we believe that means is inside sales, it's not dead. And we built a model. So we've got, um, this is available at salesglobe.com, but um, we have a model that we built, and it, it talks about how the sales organization can work together, the sales structure, right? Mm-hmm. And what the selling motion looks like. And one of them we talk about the highest end on this teaming concept where you've got hybrid teaming with inside sales, mm-hmm. right? To, and, or field, you know, teaming, but it's a team that could be customer success inside sales, field, hybrid, whatever that looks like, but that can contribute to that omni-channel experience, right. those rules of engagement and how they work together, including how they ultimately get paid. Yeah, compensation critical, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what creates yep. or drives a lot of those behaviors. Right. So, yeah, if companies are not, if they don't have omni-channel figured out, they're going to have to do that relatively soon. So what I'm going to predict is that there's going to be a growth in teaming sales roles together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move on to this um, job switchers settling in. Yeah. Well, that's let's another thing that's, that's going to settle back. Job. Yeah. It's going to settle back the, uh, the war for talent again. It's another one of those factors that, uh, how has the war for talent driven up prices of, of labor? It's because people are jumping jobs to get higher paying jobs in other places, right? Yeah. Then you start getting these layoffs happening and people are like, oh, okay, maybe I need to hold back a little bit and kind of see what's going on. So there actually um, is, is left j- less job switching. Um, the, the pay increases for job switchers uh, over the past 12 months is according to the Atlanta Fed, uh, job switchers saw average pay increases of 7.3% versus 5.3% for non-switchers. Mm. It doesn't sound like a big number, but um, but job switching has paid off. But job switching actually uh, is down. So it, it's come down from 3% to 2.6%. Now, again, that doesn't sound like big numbers, but those are those are that's movement in a direction. Yeah. So the less job switching you have, again, settling back the the competition and the war for talent. Hmm. You know, I just wonder if, um, let's talk about something. You made me think about this when you were talking about the pay increases. So a lot of times pre-pandemic, let's talk about, people would leave a job at a big company because they are, you know, they get a little stuck, right? You've got this band of increases every year. So um, maybe 1.5% or 1.2.63%, however it's so, you know, granular when they figure that out because they budgeted how much they can give in increases. And um, and that causes people to leave a company. Mm-hmm. And then they even hear, they may hear um, from their leader or manager, well, but the band in this job, this is the way that it is. And we can't even go beyond this particular, you know, amount or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what did, I'd love to understand how you think that could be impacting sales roles. I have an idea for what I think where, um, you want people to stay, mm-hmm. you don't want them to leave, mm-hmm. but that, you know, if, if, if pay really does settle down and if we really are in an inflationary environment for any particular, you know, length of time, it could take years to get out of the recession, inflation, whatever you want to call this thing. How do you get people to stay without um, giving them increases that may not even 
coincide with how, you know, prices are increasing mm-hmm. and that um, reward them for their efforts. I mean, I think sales has one big tool to play with that a lot most other organizations don't, which is the incentive pay. Yes. So when we talk to clients, when they're increasing base pay for salespeople, we know salespeople value base pay at about double the the rate that they value incentive pay. So that carries a lot of weight, obviously. But if you're constrained on base pay, being able to do something with the incentives can help. Well, what can that be? That can be uh, how you're um, setting up your payout curves, uh, particularly uh, if you want to keep the good people, you can tip up your payout curves so you can perhaps do something in more of a cost-neutral fashion of uh, that reverse Robin Hood principle, which right. is paying, you know, taking from the underperformers and paying the, the overperformers or the high performers. So there's that tool that's available. Certainly how you're setting quotas uh, can make a difference. So you don't, you don't really want to soften quotas yeah. just to be able to deliver more pay to people. Right. So there's that lever. And then I, I think there's the big one that a lot of companies overlook. And, and we're seeing this with clients right now, Michelle, which is the employee value proposition. So when they're playing right now on the idea of we can increase base pay or we can increase incentives, they're missing a lot of other opportunities. So those other opportunities are about job content, so what somebody does. Uh, Companies are playing into that a bit in terms of offering up more remote work, that type of thing. So you've got job content, you've got career path, where can you go with us as an organization? You've got affiliation with a great company, a great brand. You've got culture. You certainly have benefits. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing this all over that everybody gets caught in the game of the pay increases. And it's like, wait, you have a lot of things that people value and why they want to stay here. Market that. That's right. To the, or, to the, to the market. Yeah. I'm also going to predict that um, we're going to see more aggressive pay mix. And what that means is I believe that we're going to see more pay at risk across roles. We already were starting to see that Mm -hmm. when we were looking at the hybrid role. Um, So we did that survey this year and we we, uh, understood what pay mix was for field sales roles and hybrid roles. And hybrid roles were more aggressive and meaning that there was more pay at risk. And we believe that that's because those roles did not exist before and you could easily do that. But I'm going to predict that as companies are looking at managing their cost of sales, instead of increasing base pay, they will add more on top of the incentive opportunity to at least get some value back, right? To at least offset the additional expense in pay, instead of it being something fixed where they're gambling a little bit, they're going to put it in incentive. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, I think we're going to see more of that reverse Robin Hood happening. You know, how many companies, Mark, that we go to and they're they're now coming to us and saying 80% of our people were out or above quota or 90% and they know that that's just too high. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and in this whole conversation, I know we talked about this in other podcasts, we have to remember those big three things that if you're increasing your costs, especially fixed costs uh, like yes. base salary, you got to do one of three things, which is you either have to increase productivity to go along with those costs, meaning bigger quotas or people producing more. Uh, you've got to lower cost in some other area or you've got to raise prices. Otherwise, your margins are going to go down, right? Yep. And, and I know there are others beyond those three, but you kind of get yourself in a spot there 
that you have to do something if you're going to be raising your costs. So I'm looking at your predictions, and all right, we'll talk about this one. The new achievers will nudge out the great resigners. Yeah, this oh. is my this is my flashback <laughs> to the '80s, guys. I, and you know what? I, I'm passionate about this one. I know because I'm passionate about the um, the great resigners yeah. and the silent quitters, right? Yeah, uh, I'm passionate, not in a positive way about no. about them, right? No. So it's like. <laughs> Exit stage left because make room for somebody else. Okay, well, you don't have to because somebody else is going to make room for themselves in this situation. So what I mean by that is the new achievers are going to look at what's going on in terms of the people that are the silent quitters or the resigners, the people that aren't coming to the office or not engaged with the organization that I'm just going to work remote. And it's like, okay, well, I see opportunities for my career path as a new achiever because I, I want a career path. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there working with the team. I'm going to be there working with the boss. I'm going to be working working with the customer uh, directly, right? And so I think that's going to open up opportunities for a group of people. And we don't know how large they are, but we know they're out there because mm-hmm. we see them, right? We have them. Uh, those people are going to see opportunities and, and they're going to step in. Now, it may not be enough to tip the scales in terms of the overall labor market, but what it's going to do is it's going to start to nudge out a lot of people that think they can just coast, right? Mm-hmm. So so watch for that. And, you know, that's yeah. not... You know, may may not be popular with the the status quo or whatever, but I, I think it's happening. Well, I just think it's really exciting for um, people that might be new to the workforce, and others even more mature in their careers, but they haven't really been able to stand out, even if they've done super right. really right. good work. Um, I think there's an opportunity. I think that employee the employer is looking at people a little bit differently. Um, and they're looking at, you know, people's results and work effort and, you know, I don't know. I, I think that you're right. I think there could be a really good opportunity today. And the reason I say it's a flashback to the eighties is I, uh, you know, I came up in the, in the eighties and nineties early in my career and we were all new achievers back Mm -hmm. then. When you got out of college, you went to, went to work. It was all about what can I do to advance? And there was just a drive. Maybe some of it was because I started my career in New York, but it was all about that, right? It wasn't about leisure. It was about I'm going to bust it so I can get ahead. And and so I see a lot of people doing that now. Balance, but a little balance is good. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, because you're, yeah, you were high driving like the Wall Street movie, right? Well, you know, it's like, and you know, not everybody wants that frenetic pace. Balance is for later in life, though. You got to make your bones and then you can have balance, right? (laughs) But that's the 80s flashback. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. So I believe what's going to happen is that um, people that really want to advance their career, younger people, they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out how to have a good balance, that it's not about, I agree. oh, I I can't have a a great job. You know, I'm either going to live in my van and travel the country or, you know, <laughs> I yep. don't know, take out jobs. I think they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I know young and have people have a better are, life. So, oh yeah. You're, yeah. you're right. Yeah. I mean, there's young people now that are going into sales and they go, they come through the junior sales rep program and they're ready to go out to the, to the market and they see how the company treats the reps that are out on the market. They just burn through the new reps, right? They're transferring them to different, different territories or different geographies yep. and they basically burn them out. And a lot of those people, I've, I've seen them, they, they're like, you know, I, I don't think I want to do this or I don't want to do this for this company. So that balance is going to play. Yep. Okay. So what about this 
generation of less developed sales professionals that yeah. you're talking about. Do you really think that's going to happen? It's already happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the great irony in the whole thing is, okay, again, flashback to how we all grew up. Oh. Right. <laughs> how did we learn? We learned by being there and, and working with the team yes. and working with the customer and, and working with our bosses. And we yes. learn from the bumps and bruises that come with like, you know, an in-person meeting that fails mm -hmm. and you were the, and, and, and you were the cause of it or something. Right. And so you learn from a lot of those hard knocks cause you're on the field of play. Right. And you right. sharpen your skills, you sharpen your talents. And so it's not easy. It takes a lot of work. You, you know, you're getting on planes, you're going places, right. There's a lot of that machismo in there. Right. But we don't have that anymore, but, but that's how people learn. Right. Right. And now you're getting yeah. this next generation of people who are the younger ones that are really comfortable with technology. Right. And, and that's great. And then you've got some of the older generations that are just not as comfortable with technology, but the newer mm -hmm. generations are younger generations, more comfortable with technology. And they're like, Hey, I'm totally fine working remote. I don't, I don't know why I have to come to work. Why, why do I have to go to the customer location? I can just do it all on zoom or teams or what, you know, whatever your platform of choice is. And so their development is kind of limited. Like it's like playing a video game versus really being out on the field. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're playing, you know, Madden, video games in their careers versus they're out there on the field getting hammered, right? And they're not going to develop to the same degree. So they're going to miss those people that are the younger people that say they're totally fine with technology. They're the ones that are hurting themselves because they don't realize they're going to miss something. And so you're going to have this generation of people that just hasn't developed to the level of people that have been out there in the field. And to be clear, you're not saying every single young person is like that. No, because you got because your new know. achievers. Right, you've, you've got, got your new people yes. coming along. They're going, and, no, I'm getting out there. Yeah, and they're still comfortable with technology. And those that you know that that's the hybrid seller that I believe will have the advantage moving ahead and could have a really wonderful career for them. Yes, yeah, so if you want to you want to shift your career development over to you know being a video game, well, you've got other people out there that are playing, you know, full contact. Yes. So. And last but not least, we're going to talk about technology for a moment because there, there's always been this big thought process around, oh, my God, my, my job as a salesperson, I'm going to be made obsolete. I'm going to be obsolete because of all this technology and self-service. But what we're seeing is that people really do want that connection. And what we're seeing and what we, we know, and I'll let you I'll let you give the big you know, big news. But um, what we're seeing and what we know is that um, buyers want that contact with, you know, the, with their salesperson. Mm -hmm. But what they talk about and what they do is a little bit different. Yeah, what are they yeah. doing? Well, we know, we know with, uh, with technology and with um, automation, customers can get information earlier yes. themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So just being a sales representative and representing the company and providing information is no longer enough because customers Price have already... and features and right. yeah, that doesn't matter yeah. anymore. I mean, right. they've already gone through all those steps in their process mm -hmm. by the time they see a salesperson. And um, I know you've had stats behind this, but um, you know, by the time they see a salesperson, they've been through a certain number of cycles and they've already made a lot of decisions, right? Yes, they have. Yep. So when they ask the salesperson for something, um, you know, the salesperson has to take on a different role. So the, the AI, the, you know, the automation, the, the offshoring, 
that can replace a lot of what salespeople do now. So what's the last frontier or the next frontier? It's the ability to solve the problem for the customer. Yes. Okay. We, so we haven't AI'd that yet. Um, and yeah, you could say, well, we, we can AI how to solve a problem. Well, you can't oh, AI how to, no. how do you creatively a solve a problem? problem but how do you creatively solve a problem? Right. A yeah. linear problem. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that's going to be the next frontier for salespeople, mm-hmm. the ones that are successful in their careers. And that's the best way to protect their careers is become a better creative problem solver. And that's going to differentiate you. And that can't be offshore or AI'd. No, and we are hearing more and more of that. Um, we're hearing that from sales leaders. We're hearing it out of the mouths of the C-level that is saying we need people and we want people that can solve problems, mm-hmm. not that can sell a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a whole host of things that goes go behind that in terms of, of how to... Uh, how to go through the problem-solving process. And uh, if you're not a creative person, that's fine because there are methods that you can use, and, and we go into that in other podcasts and in Free to Friday the sales and everything globe else. Yeah. playbook. Yeah, that's we right. We just need our playbook. That's right. <laughs> so, so that's, I mean, if I were, if I were a, a salesperson uh, at any stage in my career, that's the thing I would invest yeah. in is, is how to become a better problem solver. And, you know, the relationship is important as well, but, yes. uh, but that has to go along with the problem solving. Yep. That's how you become really that trusted advisor. You know, we talk about trusted advisor almost like cliche, but the more that you talk to sales leaders and, e- and the C-level, like, you know, there's really something to that. It means something. Mm-hmm. And solving problems is really a, a good path to get there. Yep. Yeah, so um, the problem solver wins out. Uh, so those are just a few of the things that we see ahead mm-hmm. yep. in 2023. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Yep. And, Mark, I think you and I are going to have a lot more to say on these topics and more as we get into 2023. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>